Richard Gibson uh, works for the International Mission to, to Jewish People, who are also Hank and Wilma, who we, uh, who we know well, work for uh, as well. Richard, we were able to catch up last Sunday. I think we mainly spoke about cricket, but, but which was lovely. Uh, but we did speak uh, briefly about your, uh, your work, and we're delighted that you're able to come and share with us uh, this morning. We had Philip Amos, who came and joined us back in, uh, back in November, uh, and we're delighted that you're able to just come and join us and tell us a little bit more about your work and what you do. So I'm going to pray for you, Richard, and then I'll, and then I'll step out of the way. Heavenly Father, we uh, want to thank you for Richard. We thank you uh, for his willingness to, uh, to serve you as he uh, reaches out to, uh, to people of the Jewish, uh, Jewish background. We, uh, we thank you uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. And we thank you that as Richard uh, proclaims that good news to those uh, that he meets in Leeds and, and elsewhere where he's, where he's ministering, we thank you uh, that your Holy Spirit works powerfully through him and opens blind eyes of unbelievers to see your son, the Lord Jesus. We pray for him now. We pray that you would be able to, that you would use him, that you would speak powerfully through him. And the words that he speaks would be yours, not his own. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Um, it's really great to be with you. And... Uh, what I'd like to do this morning is read to you from Acts chapter 9, verse 5 to 15. And just allow the Lord to speak to us through his word and give you a heart for his people, for the Jewish people. Ministry that I've been working for now for 31 years, which is ridiculous. Um, but God is faithful. And so we're going to read from Acts chapter 9, verse 5, really familiar words, where Paul is on the road to Damascus and he is confronted with this tremendous light and he starts with this question of all questions who are you lord Saul asked i am jesus whom you're persecuting he replied now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do the men traveling with saul stood there speechless they heard the sound but did not see anyone saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing so they led him by the hand into damascus for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray before we look at this any further. Father, we know that your word is a light to our path and a lamp to our way, and we pray that it would be a light to our hearts that you would reveal to us our deepest need of you that you'd minister to us where we are right now may you draw true praise and true worship from each one of our hearts and each one of our lives frustrate the work of the enemy enemy we pray bring his devices and designs to nothing may your will be done right here right now as it is in heaven and we ask this in jesus name amen, amen. 
I don't know, in, in lockdown, I got into watching YouTube videos of younger people reacting to songs that I grew up with. And it kind of, it was really, really interesting to see people discovering all these new songs and reacting to them. And in 1978, The Who had a song called Who Are You? And if you ever go to football matches, you know that that's the kind of thing that fans sing to each other. They serenade each other with Who Are You? And it's not a compliment, is it? It's a goad, it's a bit of a taunt. And um, I don't know if you've been in a car park and you've parked in the wrong spot or you've parked too close to the door. That is often the question that the other driver will ask you as well. Who are you? Who do you think you are? I'm often in the situation where I'm saying, well, who do you think I am? <laughs> it could be a case of mistaken identity. I don't want to get into trouble for somebody else's, uh, somebody else's mistake. But oftentimes when somebody asks you who you are, it's not a genuine question. They don't actually want to know who you are. They want to know who you think you are and why you're doing something that they disagree with or they think you shouldn't be doing. And uh, it's kind of an expression of outrage rather than a, a, a genuine question. And people often ask who God is. And in a sense, when people say who is God, it's the same thing, isn't it? They're not actually asking to get a real answer. They're asking because there's some kind of outrage. You know, why is he letting all this stuff happen to me? What's going on in the world? And sometimes it's a genuine question. Uh, other times it's just an excuse not to believe and just to carry on. So there's no real, I want an answer to this. I want to accuse you. I want to goad you into a fight. I want to be able to walk away from you and feel morally justified that I don't need to consider you in my life at all. And I can do whatever I want with any of your moral restrictions because you're irrelevant and you've disqualified yourself because who are you? And sometimes people ask us who we think we are as Christians. And to be fair, sometimes we need to ask ourselves that same thing as well. We're called evangelicals. Who are you, evangelical? That's not a compliment anymore, is it? As it, as, as it, as it used to be. Uh, and we really need to get back to what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. Because what it isn't is a culture war. It's not a conservative culture war to regain cultural conservative dominance on society and culture. The gospel is the manifestation of God's love to a fallen world through the cross of Jesus Christ, and that's what it is. And so, who are you, Lord, is this question that, that uh, Paul asks God as he is confronted, as he, as, as, as he is taken by surprise. And when we ask God genuinely who you are, we end up finding out who we are. And it's a mistake in our world today, isn't it? We start with asking, who am I? We start with our identity. What am I? And we, re we should be starting with who God is. And when we find out who is, then we find out who we really are. That's the true route to self-discovery and self-identity. And so this is the case with Paul, who previously thought that he was enforcing God's will. He was enforcing his version of conservative culture through violently suppressing all of the early Jewish followers of Jesus. And it wasn't enough that he was arresting them and killing them in Jerusalem. He was that zealous. He went all the way to Damascus to do it as well. You know, uh, and, and, and he just was kind of like a, an early version of uh, you know, Osama, Osama bin Laden. You know, he was a genuinely terrifying person. And we read a sense of his reputation and a sense of his, uh, the fear that his name conjured up in people's minds in, in this text that we, that we read together. 
And so he's confronted by God on the road to Damascus, and he asks this question in verse 5, the question of all questions, the question that I'm hoping that you're here to ask yourself this morning, who are you, Lord? Because the journey to true discovery can only take place when we are on our own Damascus Road. We have our own Damascus Road experience when we stop focusing on ourselves and we don't navel-gaze and just get all angsty about our identity and who we are and what we are. And we focus on asking this question, who are you, Lord? Now, I um, used to visit a Jewish friend of mine who's upon the screen here, Joe, for, for, for 25 years. And I'd go to him every week and he'd pull out this little book and he spent all week researching how he was going to destroy my faith. And he got a question that was just going to kill, this one's going to do you in, Richard. And he'd read this question to me and we'd have a coffee and just work through it and he'd go, all right, next week. <laughs> And uh, we did that probably about 15 years, and he ran out of questions, and then he went to the beginning of the book again and started asking the same, the, the same questions. And I said to him, Joe, what, what would it take for you to believe? Because I need my own Damascus Road experience. I said, well, what would that actually look like? What, 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 what would you actually need? Would you need a pig flying outside your window to the soundtrack of Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven? I mean, be specific. What do you actually want? And he didn't know what he actually wanted, because what he actually wanted was not to believe and, and not to feel guilty about not believing. He didn't want to, to have the evidence. But he said he needed his own Damascus Road experience and little did he know that his Damascus Road experience would be lying in a COVID ward St. James's Hospital in Leeds three days before he died. I phoned him up and I tried to phone him up for a couple of weeks and couldn't get through and I finally got through to him and he picked up the phone and I spoke to the nurse and. I said a few things to him just to make sure that he was you know, with me, and he was. And he sounded, it might sound a bit flippant, but he sounded like Darth Vader underwater. It was a terrifying sound. It was the sound of, 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 of death. And I had the joy and the privilege, it probably was the saddest and most joyous experience of my whole ministry of leading him to faith in Jesus as his Savior and Lord three days before he passed into eternity. All of those years he'd been arguing, we'd been playing this kind of theological sword fight, and you know, all of those questions went when he faced eternity. And the thing that lockdown taught me was that I didn't need to be in the room. Only the Holy Spirit needs to be in the room. And I prayed with him over the phone, and he asked this question of the Lord, who are you, Lord? And he heard that same reply, I am Jesus. But who was Paul? We often call Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. And yet here we see in this text that he's been given a commission by God via Ananias, one of these kind of cast aside little characters, you know, he, he's not a big, big part player. But I think that we should, now we often think, I, I wish I was a Paul. Forget being a Paul, be an Ananias. If we want to see Pauls in the church, we need more Ananiases. Somebody who had the courage to go to a man who he thought was a nutcase and a murderer. You know, here was God coming to Ananias in a dream and saying, hey Ananias, this Saul guy that's going around killing everybody and arresting them, I want you to go and speak to him. And by the way, I've grushed you up. I've told him your name. So you can't say no. And so... But here is the measure of Ananias' faith. 
is that he went anyway, despite his fear. And you can hear the, the you can you can hear the the fear the fear in his voice. Ananias said in verse thirteen, "I've heard many reports about this man, and all the harm that he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's even come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name." But the Lord said to Ananias, "Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel." And so here is Ananias. I think he was the hero of this story. We tend to miss that because, and you might never be a Paul, but every single one of you can be an Ananias and we need all of the Ananiases that we can get in the church. In International Mission to Jewish People, we need all the Ananiases that we can get to facilitate and to partner and to power the work of the gospel transforming the lives of Jewish men and women. And so Paul is called this apostle to the Gentiles in Romans 11, verse 13. And, but that's not all the picture. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, but we're told in this commission that God gives to him through Ananias that he's to carry not just his name to the Gentiles and their kings, but also to the children of Israel. We tend to think that that was Peter's job. Yet you read the New Testament and Paul does way more evangelism than Peter, who's supposed to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul's missionary practice was, well, he says it, doesn't it? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first. And he was not ashamed of that. And this was his practice because you read in the book of Acts, everywhere that he goes to, the first place he goes to is the synagogue. Even after that famous instance when he says, I dust the sand from my sandals, I go to the Gentiles, the next town he goes to, well, back in the synagogue again. And so in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, in Pisidian Antioch, he's in the synagogue straight away. In the same chapter, uh, he's in Salamis in chapter 14, he goes to Iconium, he's in the synagogue again. In chapter 17, verse 2, he goes to the synagogue in Thessalonica, verse 10, in Berea, the famous Bereans who always checked to see if these things were so. And then chapter 17, verse 7, in Athens, he didn't go to look at any of the tourist sites. They weren't tourist sites then, but he went to the synagogue because this was his conviction, this was his heart, and it was his commission, even as the apostle to the Gentiles. He couldn't exclude his own people because he knew that a gospel message without meaning to the Jewish people would make meaningless anything that he would say to the Gentile kings or the Gentile nations themselves. And that's why we read that it's not only his heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel to be saved, but it was also his missionary practice, even as the apostle to the Gentiles, because integral to his calling to the, to the Gentiles was the Jewish people, and I put it to you this morning that that's true for every single Christian, no matter what you're called to, integral to your commitment to the gospel, integral to that heart that God has given you for his gospel, for the name of Jesus to be carried to your family, to your friends, to your neighbours. It also has to be a heart for the Jewish people as well. It cannot not include the Jewish people because you will then lose something essential of what the gospel really is. And so we see his, his practice, we see his passion. And he finds, you know, his, this is a really great mission strategy as well because he goes to people that have always already got the question to the answer that he wants to bring them. If he was to go to the Gentiles, well, they didn't even have the question. He had to give them the question before they, he gave them that Jesus is the answer. And so his great mission strategy 
So the first place it goes to is people have already got a bit of the story. They already know that there's a Messiah that's promised. They already know what sin is. I mean, you go to most town centres and ask people about sin and they think it's a new nightclub that's open. They don't understand what it really is. And so he goes to the people who knew what the question was and he was able to give them the answer and he had tremendous mission uh, impact wherever he went, planting these churches that then incorporated uh, Gentiles and all nations coming together in this new creation. And so from doing evil to the saints in Jerusalem, verse 13, to carrying the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, the kings in Israel, in verse 15, we realise that that's the real journey that Paul had. It wasn't walking from Jerusalem to Damascus. The real journey was internal. It was that transformative journey that he had, and he now had to ride on the wave of the gospel as it breached the retaining walls of where it started in the first place. It spilled over to all the nations and their leaders. Now, Paul was an agent of the temple. You know, he was, he was uh, as kosher as they came. And in verse 14, we read again, he had this authority from the chief priest to, to not just arrest people in Jerusalem, but he could go all the way to Damascus and arrest them there. So he was orthodox and kosher, and he knew his Bible really, really well. And so he wouldn't have been surprised uh, because his ancient scriptures, which we know as the Old Testament, which uh, Jewish people know as the Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible, had prepared him for the day that Gentiles would be impacted by his God. Because Israel wasn't called a light to the nations for nothing. In Isaiah 49 verse 6, we know that it was always God's intention to break into the world through, uh, through the Jewish people, through a particular virgin through a particular family line in a particular place in Bethlehem, God pierced into human history and then exploded his gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And the psalmist foretold a day when Messiah would be followed by all nations. Psalm 72 verse 11 says, May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. So when he heard Ananias saying, Hey, you're going to take, take the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel, you can imagine quite the impact that that would have had on him as Psalm 72 verse 11 was screaming in his head that this is God's plan from the very foundation of the earth. And he would have been electrified when Ananias had told him what God had said. And we can see the impact of this realisation. You know, it really did transform him because he then went and through God turned the world upside down. Uh, and he had this realisation that we, that we have recorded in Philippians 3 verse 8 that he found his identity in Jesus and everything else he, he counted as dung, he counted as worthless. Compared to Jesus, nothing meant anything. Now he didn't say that your identity means nothing. He didn't say you're a man, it means nothing. You're a woman, you're, it means nothing. You're English, it means nothing. You're Scottish, it means nothing. Well, you wait till rugby comes and I'll <laughs> tell you that it means something. We come to Headingley and watch the cricket. It means everything. What it says is compared to Jesus, don't mean nothing. It doesn't say it doesn't mean anything at all. And so despite his new identity in Jesus, his old identity as a Jewish man was not rubbed out. He was still, we're told, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was just making a comparison uh, uh, that if anybody should have known what God wanted from them, it was him. If anyone was going to be okay, 
it was going to be him, not anybody else. And Philippians 3, verse 3 to 5, he says, it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, na 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 na, I've got more. <laughs> Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Paul's new birth identity in Christ Jesus as a bearer of Jesus' name didn't make Paul ashamed of his birth identity. He says in this verse, we are, not we were, it's still an ongoing identity and it means something. Carrying the name of Jesus didn't obliterate his birth heritage and neither does it ours. And I think this is a really interesting model for us to navigate uh, the, how, we, how, we, how we think about faith and cultural di diversity. We can embrace and celebrate one another's di distinctions and diversity and where we come from and what we look like and how we are brought up and how we live. This is a really helpful model for us to understand how in the new creation we don't have to all look like each other. All we have to be is like Jesus. And we have that wonderful glimpse of the future in Revelation 7 verse 9. It tells us, after this I looked and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They weren't all whitewashed. It's every tongue, tribe and nation and culture. You know, the first followers of Jesus who Paul persecuted, they were initially called followers of the way in Acts chapter 9 verse 2. And they were later nicknamed and of course, with the New Testament was in Greek, they were called the Christianos because they kept talking about Christos all the time, you know? And so they just got that nickname. And in Greek, we translate into English the word that we call ourselves today, Christian. And uh, we see that the first followers of Jesus were called that name in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. But I want to say this morning, the name that we carry is the name of Jesus. It's not even the name Christian. It's not the name evangelicalism. We're in a new covenant community that is all about Jesus, yeah. first and last, and that's all that matters. Yeah. We carry the name of Jesus, and that's exactly what Jesus told Paul to do through Ananias. Carry my name to Israel and all the nations, and that's what we're to do as God's church today. Carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, their kings, and the people of Israel. It's a core obligation and responsibility that God puts on our heart. Now, we don't have to literally carry the name of Christ, but we represent Jesus to those who no longer see him, as those did see him in Galilee and Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. For you and me to carry the name of Jesus means that we can't ignore the Gentiles or the kings or the Jewish people. We do really well with the kind of generic Gentiles, but we don't really do well with leaders and rich people. You know, how well do you do? How, how compassionate do you feel towards people that, you know, the, the billionaires of this world are oh, poor billionaires, they need to hear Jesus. You know, it's hard to feel sympathetic for people who've got a better life than you. And then the Jewish people as well, you know, not many people know that many Jewish people, and so the church hasn't done as good with that two-thirds of the commission that Paul has been given. We're great with the generic Gentiles, but it's a whole package. 
that we that we need to recognize and 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 be faithful to in the in this commission so for me and for you to carry the name of jesus today means that we can't ignore gentiles or their leaders or the jewish people for you it means maybe today the time for you to take seriously and be part of what we're doing international mission to jewish people stand with us in prayer maybe through your prayers more joes will come to know jesus as their saviour and lord as you stand with us together um not long ago i i went with my 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 youngest son to a school trip to synagogue and uh, we uh, we went into the synagogue and all the children there and i was there with the other parents and the teachers and the orthodox jewish man just unrolled the big torah scroll he was giving all these facts and figures about the torah scroll in hebrew and if you count this way in that's the the middle letter in the scroll and all these facts and figures little girl put her hand up and she goes excuse me and he goes yes you have a question and she said can you read that and he went no i can't read that only special people can read that only people with special reading can read that and she just said no his dad can read it <laughs> all the children turned round and looked at me and then all the parents and the teachers turned around and looked at me. And then the Orthodox Jewish man looked at me and he goes, can you? And I said, yes, I can. And so he took this little silver pointer, this little silver stick with a little silver hand on it. You're not allowed to touch the scroll, it's holy. And he put the, the yad on the scroll and said, off you go. And so I read the Torah portion to him. And then I translated it to him to the sound of people's jaws hitting the floor. <laughs> And he said, well, not only have we got somebody that can read it, but somebody that can translate it as well. It's really, really special. And um, the, uh, the little girl looked at me and she said, how did you do that? <laughs> and at the end of the, uh, of the visit, as we're about to go, the Orthodox Jewish man came up to me and he went, who are you? <laughs> and I said, I'm Noah's dad. I was known by my son. You do something amazing in your life, and they say, who are you? Are you known by the Son of God, the one who loved you and gave his life for you? Is that how you identify yourself when people want to know who you are? We carry the name of Jesus in this world, and when we do something that causes people to exclaim in wonder, why did you do something like that? I mean, where's this kindness come from? We need to make sure that our answer is Jesus because our identity and everything is in him. I don't know if, you've, uh, if you uh, have watched the film Spartacus. It might be harder you know, than uh, knowing who the who were at the beginning of the verse. So it's dating me as this. But there's this amazing scene at the end of Spartacus where Spartacus, who's led this slave rebellion against the Roman armies, he sat on there and it's Tony Curtis and um, what's his name, the other one? Kirk Douglas, that's right, and, and, and they, the, the Roman jail goes, are, are you Spartacus? Right, hang. And suddenly, uh, Tony Curtis jumps up and he goes, I am Spartacus. And Spartacus is about to stand up and say, no, 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 I'm Spartacus. Then somebody behind him jumps up and goes, no, I'm Spartacus. And then the whole hill erupts and everybody's standing, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus. And it's the most amazing and powerful scene. And when people ask, are you, who are you? Are we saying Jesus? 
Is that our response? Does it explode from the deep wells of our heart that our identity and our core uh, essence is him? When we're asked who we are, we don't carry the name of anything else other than Jesus to kings, Gentiles, Jewish people. We don't say I'm brethren, I'm Baptist, I'm Anglican, I'm evangelical, or even the word church that's so broad in meaning we need all these other words to define what we really are in opposition to all these other heretics that we're not anymore. Not even the word church or Christian, they're just translations of Greek words anyway from the New Testament. Paul's commission and Paul's identity was about one thing only, and that was Jesus. It was his name that he carried. And when we try and take the message of Jesus to Jewish people, that's the one thing that we bring to them, a name that means love, a name that means transformation, a name that means atonement and redemption. So when we're asked, who are you? Let's remember who the Lord is. He is Jesus. And who was Paul? He was the one that God commissioned to take the gospel where God always attended, through his breaking into world history through a simple Jewish virgin in Bethlehem to the whole world. It still is for Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. You don't need to get Operation World out and just tick things off and say, well, they've had it, they've heard it, they can't have another chance. You know, we can't be like that. It's forever recycling around the world. There isn't a person that God says, right, they've had their chance, they're done. That people group have blown it for this generation. We have to keep going everywhere. But Israel, the Jewish people, have to be part of this as well. We carry the name of Jesus wherever we go and whatever we do. And we, International Mission to Jewish People, carry the name of Jesus back to his own people. And we would love it if you would stand shoulder to shoulder with us, that you would be watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. You've got the little cards on your chairs with you there. You can them and give them to me afterwards if God is touching your heart to be part of this movement that, that takes the name of Jesus back to Jewish people because Jewish people are responding to him and embracing him as their Messiah and Lord. Now, last year we saw a tremendous uh, impact, 30 Jewish people making professions of faith in Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. And do you want to know where the vast majority of them that came to faith were? They were in Moldova in Kishinev, because we had two missionaries from Odessa in Ukraine who have been made refugees. And they have moved to, to Kishinev and still do their mission work. I would never have thought to send missionaries to Kishinev, because it's not a big enough Jewish community. But God is at work in this world, no matter what world leaders do. And here they are, one third of all the people that came to faith were Jewish people in Kishinev discovering the name of Jesus in all of the chaos of what's going on in that part of the world right now. And I don't know where you are this morning yourselves. Maybe you think you need your own Damascus Road experience. I pray it's not as dramatic as my friend's Joe was. But sometimes we really need to look differently at our own lives and defocus on ourselves and focus on Jesus and see God's love in him and then we find our real and true identity. You know, yesterday I was called by my sister to drive up to my father because they were saying he was dying. So I flew up the motorway to Vidal and spent three hours crying and praying with my dad. And he was just whispering out, put Jesus first, put Jesus first. And for three hours he hovered and then he sat up looked around and said, it's you, I'm still here. 
and he's still here this morning. But my mum and dad said to me, do you go and preach at the Welcome Church? Because we want you to put Jesus first. Jesus is all that matters. So pray with us that we would all know the true message of Jesus, the impact, the transformation, the love, that more Jewish people will ask, who are you, Lord? And receive that answer. I am Jesus. Become a watchman with us as we carry the name of Jesus, Jesus alone, to Jewish people, their Messiah, their Saviour, their Redeemer, and their Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we worship before your throne of grace, aware of your compassion and love that fails not. It's new every morning, no matter what we face, whether it is the impending shadows of our own demise, or whether it is a life that lays before us and we have no idea where you would take us. But we pray, Father, that we would put our trust in you, that Jesus and Jesus alone would be our banner, our shield, our strong, our strong place, our rock and our fortress. May we put our trust in you, be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.